0: Not that great, but... What do you mean, Jesse? Hoping to make the cut here at Colair, sir. You can call me Reuben. Right, I remember. Reuben, sir. Says here you work summers on a farm, pitching hay? I was a teenager. It's just hay. Doesn't really... Says a lot more than you think, Jesse.
1: What do you mean, sir?
0: Jesse, I worked a lot of jobs growing up. You know what I noticed? Most boys working hay quit after one day. Huh? That's hard work, Jesse. And it's hot. Most people can't cut it. You did an entire season. Sure, but it's not like that qualifies me for... Speaks volumes, Jesse. Working here at Colair fixing air conditioners in South Texas, that's hard work. And it's hot. And it's hot. I can teach you to fix air conditioners, Jesse. Work ethic like yours, that can't be taught.
1: Call Colair because we care. Visit callcolair.com. Thank you, sir. So, you'll consider my
0: application? I'll consider it very carefully. License number 6249C. Welcome back to the Empire Builders podcast. And and Stephen, I'm excited because we're back to baked goods. You you told <laughs> me just before we started recording that we're going to be talking about McKee bakeries, and I didn't have a clue. I didn't have the foggiest notion what that was until you said, oh, these are the people behind Little Debbie snack cakes. So yeah,
1: yeah. Have you partaken in the few Little Debbies in your time? Um, Yeah, I've probably eaten...
0: Loads of them in, in the past. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid that stuff at this point in my life. You know, one of the weird experiences I have with little debbies is uh, this is a weird one because I was I was renting a storage unit in Tucson, Arizona a couple of years ago. You know how sometimes they're really cramped in, in the spaces to get in and out of your storage unit. Every time we'd try to go to access our storage unit, the guys right across from us had their trucks and their trailers pulled in there, and they were loading in and out. Boxes and boxes and pallets of Little Debbie snack cakes. It's like these were obviously the franchise drivers, the route drivers, or whoever, right? And they were keeping their. I don't know how this, I don't know how any of that works. So maybe that's, maybe that's part. I don't know what their business model is, but it involves storage units in Tucson, Arizona somehow.
1: There you go. Well, maybe these were counterfeit Little Debbie's.
0: (laughs) It could have just been a front, right? It could have just the cartel uses empty. (laughs) <laughs> Little Debbie cases. <laughs> I have no idea how any of this works. So tell me about McKee Bakeries.
1: It started as McKee Bakery, and it's now known as McKee Foods. And as we talked about, it's best known for the Little Debbie brand. Here's one of the things that's kind of cool. The company is still privately held, going wow. into its third generation so we don't exactly know the sales figures. What I did come across is about nine hundred million cartons of Little Debbie product is sold a year. So you know that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of storage containers in Tucson. <laughs> that is a lot you. of storage units. I don't,
0: I don't know if there's even a way to calculate that.
1: <laughs> and and the fun part is the Little Debbie brand, like the whole picture and idea, is actually based upon. One of the founder's grandchildren with four-year-old Debbie, who today mm-hmm. serves as an executive VP on the board. So little Debbie has grown up and is now on the board of uh, McKee's Food. And so I thought that that was Pretty cool, and so still very much a, a family business.
0: It is really cool that, that they've managed to keep it, to grow to that size and, and keep it in the family. That's always amazing.
1: Don't see that very often. So they're doing something right, not only in terms of the business, but they're doing something right in terms of the family, that they've been able to keep this going and keep it being successful. And I, I thought that that was very cool and just kind of neat that little
0: Debbie's on the board. So how did this thing get started?
1: it started during the depression when od he's called od but his name was Other. but he goes by od and ruth mckee started this little bakery business during the depression and what od started doing was selling five cent virginia dare cookies out of his 1928 whippet car and then he wanted to expand things were doing fairly well he wanted to expand so he bought this small bakery which was called jack's cookie company And at this time, Ruth joined the business full time to run the office and they had a housekeeper taking care of the kids. And if you think about this, we're talking in the 1930s, she's running the office and someone's taking care of the kids, that's visionary in so many ways, so many ways, You know, which also was one of these things that really stood out to me about the McKees. And it did well for a number of years. And they owned this business with their father-in-law, and they wanted to expand it further, but the father-in-law didn't want to expand. So Ruth and O.D. basically sold their shares. They moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where they started a new bakery. They wanted to start a new business okay. in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it didn't do so well. And then in the 1950s, Bruce's brother, Cecil King, was in poor health. So they moved back to Chattanooga to help out with the family business. So here they are, failed okay. baking entrepreneurs. They got lots of debt. They're looking for a fresh start. They're helping out Cecil, who just can't keep up. And the business is doing private label baking at this point. And Ruth looks at the books mm. and she realizes, you know what, they're losing money on every cake they make. This private label business, while it's big volume, is really not working out for them. And at the same time, Cecil decides with his health and whatnot that he's selling the business. So O.D. and Ruth decide to buy. Now, they have Mm -hmm. no money, but it's family, and the family's willing to sell it to them on an installment plan. Mm -hmm. So now they have this business and even more debt, and they need to find a quick way to make money. So the first thing that they do is look at this idea of lowering production costs. And O.D. comes up with this idea of creating single-serve cakes, little snack cakes. This idea is not popular yet. And while it doesn't actually reduce manufacturing costs, it reduces the sticker price, and that small cost lets you increase the margin, right? Because it takes one-eighth of the size, but it's not one-eighth of the price.
0: Right, right.
1: Now, at this point, Ruth looks at the idea, but she doesn't like the idea, O.D. decides to go in a different direction and he creates a new treat. He's known for his oatmeal cookies because, remember, they had a cookie shop at one point. What he wanted to do was figure out a way to keep these oatmeal cookies soft. And what he discovered was if you put cream between them, it keeps them soft. And so he created the oatmeal cream pie. Nice. But there was also this challenge. How do you keep them fresh and keep them from breaking? And yeah. this was the future for them when he figured out this challenge. And what he realized was you can wrap the treats in plastic. And this is a revolutionary idea. There's, plastic is not being used a lot at this point in the food business. Up to this time, baked goods were bagged. But if you, did, if you sealed them in this plastic with this cream, he found it seals in the freshness keeps the cookies soft. They also started using vegetable shortening, which added shelf life. So in 1952, they launched the oatmeal cream pie, and it's a huge hit. Great margin, you pay more per ounce for the small size, people paid for the convenience, and in fact, they're unable to keep up with the demand. Like demand is is amazing. But they're still in debt, they're struggling to keep up, they don't have money to expand. And here's where Ruth's brilliance really like, man, she was able to think outside of the box. So she proposed a really unusual partnership. So they're both graduates of Southern College. So she approaches the college to build a factory. The students will get a job and the experience and they'll bake the goods. Oh, wow. Okay. And the college goes for it. They go, this is a great idea. And that doubles the production overnight. Like, right. talk about thinking outside of the box. Like, Ruth is just awesome, right? Like, in terms of thinking about this. And selling the idea to the college. You guys build the factory. We'll make our stuff there. And it creates
0: jobs for the students. Yeah, we'll see, the, the, the traditional sweatshops had not been invented yet. But... <laughs> <laughs> they so went this way instead. So... <laughs> so go with the college students. Yeah, there you go.
1: Now, they're still doing private label at this point and they decide that they want to build their own brand. They want to own and control their future. Um, you know, doing this private label, even creating this new product idea and private labeling it, they just weren't in control. Margins are thin, all of that sort of stuff. So they decide, you know what? We want to go down this this building a brand. So in 1960, they decide to change their business model build their brand, and they hire an expert to help them package. They hire a guy by the name of Bob Mosier. And the first thing, the Bob says, you should come up with a name. And he suggested a kid's name. Why don't we do a kid's name Hmm. for this? And so they pick their four-year-old granddaughter, Debbie. So it becomes little Debbie. And they even add a picture to the box, which is actually based upon a photo of Debbie. The illustration we see is based upon a real photograph of Little Debbie. So in 1960, they launched Little Debbie's and it's boxed in a box of a dozen with each individually wrapped. And this becomes like a lunchbox item. And they really... Oh, yeah. 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 And it was the first sort of lunchbox item to come along. And they corner the market on this whole idea of individually wrapped snack cakes. Now... Mm -hmm. Around this time, a lot of other entrants start coming into the market and the shelves start getting crowded. And so they realize again
0: they need to stand out. And what's new at this point is TV. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap up this story and tell you how to apply this lesson to your business right after this. Nice one. Thanks. We should do this more often, man. I wish we could. And why can't we? It's my business. What about it? Thought everything was good. It was. Do I hear a but in there? Sales have started to flatten, and we're down over last year. Uh Oh. Can't figure it out. Tried a bunch of stuff. Putting in more time doesn't seem to make a difference. Yikes. It's frustrating. Have you spoken to Steven? Who? The host. From the podcast we just interrupted? No. Why not? I thought you were trying stuff. I am, but what's Steven going to do? He'll work with you for free. You mean that starter session thing? Yep. I don't know. What do you have to lose? Not much, I guess. So, you gonna book one? Yeah, why not? Where do I do it again? I think you can do it right from this podcast. Cool. Thanks. You bet. We really should do this more often. Golf more or interrupt this podcast? Over to you, Dave. Book your starter session on this podcast's website. Just visit the Empire Builders Podcast. .com and click on get started. Let's pick up our story where we left off and trust me, you haven't missed a thing.
1: So they decide to pour money into a marketing blitz and really lean into television. They are again one of the first to do this whole idea of of this large media buy on television to sell this small priced item. And and if anybody's interested, you know, we have a podcast we did in the past around this whole idea of why does a chocolate company do national campaigns for these small priced goods? And we walked through the math on that. So a person can certainly go back yeah, and, yeah. and revisit that uh, revisit that episode. So they lean in the television, it works amazing. During this time, from basically 1960 to 1970, they expand manufacturing 13 times. They're just killing it. Then in 1973, they create another new idea. O.D. looks at it and says, What if we created four new snack cakes and put them all in one box and created this variety pack? Because he looked at how this was a lunchbox item, right? It's a lunchbox item, but it's kind of boring having the same thing in the lunchbox.
0: Twelve different days. That's two and a half weeks of lunch.
1: Right. So why don't we create these four cakes, create this variety pack? And that's what they did. And today You know, they've grown huge. They've got a whole bunch of products, but their main one is still the Little Debbie's. And they do, you know, it's estimated 900 million cartons a year of Little Debbie's. And four of the founder's grandchildren, representing the third generation of the family, are managing the business, including, you know, Little Debbie herself, which is, you know, very
0: cool that's pretty amazing do you do you know anything about like their business model itself like these guys that were renting these storage units is it a franchise is it like the frito-lay drivers you buy a route from them and and now you're the guy it feels like that's the same thing
1: it wouldn't surprise me i don't know i didn't go down that path i was just sort of to me the thing yeah. that was really interesting was this innovation that ruth and od did around the oh, sure. of the cakes and the packaging and, and that's what I really you know explored. And I also thought third-generation business, and it's still successful, that's very, very rare. It is amazing how many really massive companies don't make it through generation three. So they're doing yeah. something right, not only in the business, but also how they're teaching their kids. Because it, it's a really, really special, very special thing. The other thing that I thought was quite interesting was how OD... Approach the whole problem of bringing down manufacturing costs. Instead of bringing down manufacturing costs, maybe the thing to do is change sizing.
0: Oh gosh, change, it's so it's so smart, right?
1: Yeah, and which also then changes the dynamic of what is somebody paying for. Well, what I'm actually now paying for is convenience, and now that I'm paying for that convenience, I am willing to pay that little bit more. So. Yeah. You know, I thought it was a really interesting way of looking at the problem and putting the problem on its head, and saying, "Well, look, there's a different way to approach this challenge." And I thought that that was really, really brilliant. Like between that bold enough and creative enough to approach universities and sort of go, "Let's build this facility," they showed themselves to be very, very innovative, very, very innovative thinkers.
0: You think about the the idea of they're already wholesaling, right? They're doing private label. Yep. and you can decide to not be a wholesaler anymore or you can decide hey we're going to sell we're going to sell the same product to the wholesaler but we're going to chop it into a whole bunch of little pieces wrap it up and and they're going to pay way more than they did for the whole the whole sheet and we're still wholesaling yes right i mean that yes. that's just so smart
1: yeah cuz that was the first step the first step yeah. they didn't dispose of the wholesaling model yeah. and then the next thing that they did that i thought was Again, very, very smart, and, and look, it's a, it's a hard transition to do is this idea of if we're going to really and truly control our future, control our pricing, make the extra money, we need to have a brand, or how I like to put it, we need to have the relationship with the consumer. The consumer yeah. has to want our product. We need them demanding us. And then we need to advertise that so that people then know about it, want it, and desire it. Because yeah. suddenly when you're in that position, you have the power. You have the power. You have the margin. You have the you have control of your destiny and future when you've got that direct relationship with the customer through your brand.
0: Absolutely. And, and it, it's still wholesaling, right? I mean, there's still need grocery stores and snack shops to to stock this item or at least to buy it from these guys that have the the storage units in Tucson. I don't know how again, I don't know how that works, but, <laughs> but at the same point, you're still <laughs> you're still wholesaling and you're controlling the brand. And we we've, we've visited this on on several episodes where, you know, you're advertising your brand and you're getting people to walk into the stores and ask for it by name. Right. Yes. That's the big power of, of building a brand around a product that you're, you're really, you know, wholesaling and you feel like you don't have a lot of control, but you do if you create a brand that people want and ask for.
1: Yeah. So to me, this really spoke about the power of brand, power of convenience, and this real innovative thinking that OD and Ruth brought to the business, I thought was mm-hmm. really very, very cool. And, you know, it's also fun that, you know, again, little Debbie's on the
0: board. still sit, yeah there's there's her picture and but she's sitting in a a big nice comfy chair in the boardroom not bad not Not bad bad. well done done debbie (laughs)
1: that's right awesome
0: thanks for that story steven thanks david thanks for listening to the podcast please share us subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a big fat juicy five star rating and review and if you have any questions about this or any other podcast episode email to questions at the empire builders Podcast.com.